Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter number 10. Revelation chapter number 10, grab you an outline if you don't have an outline. Do I have anybody passing out outlines? Do I have a, a helper in the house? Is there anybody that loves Jesus enough to grab some outlines? Amen. Anybody got an outline? I thought Scott was going to love Jesus enough to pass that outline. He just goes right on in the pew. Amen. All right. Raise your hand if you need an outline. Anybody need an outline? Everybody got it? Man, that's great. Y'all remembered. Hallelujah. Up in the balcony, everybody good? Everybody good? All right. Here's what we're going to do. Let's read a verse. Uh, let's read a verse and then I'll let you sit down because we got to, I want to answer the questions from the box and then we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Revelation 10 verse 1. When you get there, say amen. amen. And I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and the rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hands to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven, and the things that there are in, and the earth, and the things that there are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Which means no more delay. There's coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, when it's going to be all said and done. And he's saying, it's time. It's time. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house. And uh, Lord, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, a lot of information, and I pray that you'll anoint it. I pray that you'll touch my heart, my mind. I pray that you'll clear us of any, any distraction that would hinder us from learning and growing tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'll just, just move, forgive us of our sin, forgive us of disobedience, forgive us of rebellion, forgive us for attitudes, anything that would hinder the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray that you'll put a hedge about this place. Lord, I know Satan doesn't want us to know this stuff. And I pray that you'll put a hedge about this place. And I pray the Holy Spirit will have free reign. And I pray that your perfect will be done. Move in an awesome way. And God will thank you and we'll praise you. Don't let us say nothing we're not supposed to. Don't let us forget something we should. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> You may be seated. Uh, here's, I think we just had two questions, and I think somebody turned in a question uh, uh, Sunday. Uh, they cheated, didn't put it in the box, but then, anyway, it was close. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was close to a question that was put in the box, so here, here, here's the question. You said that Satan has access to God at this point. And in the verse, and, and it was where we, we talked about the, the, the star falling out of heaven, and we read verse chapter 12, which is in reference to Satan being kicked out of heaven, all right? And, and so in the verse, he fell from heaven into the pit, but he didn't fall into the pit, he fell to the earth, all right? He was just cast out of heaven. He still had access to everything else, but he was just cast out of heaven. So where exactly is Satan right now? He could be anywhere. He could be anywhere. He could be in the presence of God, and he could be in the presence of this service. Uh, Satan 
if we if we go, I, I made copies of a couple verses, but if you'll if you'll look in Job chapter number one, you'll find out that he presented himself before God in the presence of God. But then if you want to look, let's just turn flip over to verse twelve. I mean, excuse me, chapter twelve. Chapter twelve and verse ten. Turn there real quickly, we'll 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 look at this. Revelation 12, verse 10 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And so, with that, that, with, that was the question on the one Sunday. Does Satan have access to the saints in heaven now? I've heard it said that Satan is sitting on the throne tormenting the, the, the saints or the souls day and night. Well, that's half correct. Satan has access to God. He doesn't have access to the saints. Once we're in heaven, there'll be no more tears. Amen. And so he, ha- he doesn't have access to the saints, but God has given him limited access to himself. It is there that he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he did when he went in, in Job chapter number 1. But the thing is, that's why, that's why Job uh, was brought up to him. He was up there accusing the brethren, but he didn't bring up Job. That's why, that's why God said, have you considered my servant Job? Now you've talked about Henry, and you've talked about Leroy, and you're talking about Zechariah, but you ain't. What about Job? Amen? He was accusing the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses the brethren. But he also has access to this earth. We know that he came to this earth and he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, right? He took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. He took Jesus to a a high cliff and and all of these things. That was here on earth. So he does have limited access to God, but his his main territory, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world, okay? All right, that answers that question, I hope. Uh, he does have, he's not, but in that, that one statement, says, I've heard that it is said that Satan is sitting on the throne tormenting the souls day and night. That is not true. That is not true. He is tempting, he is tempting uh, uh, sinners. He is, he is accusing saints. Are y'all with me? But he is not up in heaven tormenting anybody in heaven. All right? Uh, so, then the second question was this, what is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? Now, uh, he, let me just read this definition and it'll kind of help you and then I'll explain just the, the, just the, the blunt, easy version. Uh, Jesus confronted the Pharisees when they were, what was happening was he was performing miracles, right? He was healing the blind, he was, he was, he was healing the lame, he was healing the sick, and, and they couldn't refute that. I mean, what are you going to say when somebody you know was born blind and now he can see? All right, all right, crippled, crippled Cody had been at the wall all the time and now he's running around town. Okay, you can't refute that. So here's what they do. <laughs> they do just like what jealous Christians do to other churches when, when their church is not growing and another church is growing. Oh, they're, they're, they're liberal. They're compromising. In other words... God's blessing them, or, or they're being blessed because the devil's doing it. Well, that's what they did to Jesus. They said, you're casting out devils by devils. They were attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Are y'all with me? So, Jesus is confronting that, and he's confronting the Pharisees' deliberate rejection of deeds that they know to be of God. 
Since they cannot deny the reality of what the Holy Spirit has done through him, they attribute it to Satan. Someone never exposed to Christ's divine power and presence might reject him in ignorance and be forgiven if the unbelief gives way to genuine repentance. Even a Pharisee such as Saul of Tarsus could be forgiven for speaking against the Son of Man or persecuting his followers because his unbelief stemmed from ignorance. But those who know his claims are true and reject him anyway sin against the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who testifies of Christ and makes his truth known to us. Now, what does that mean? It is the Holy Spirit that opens my heart and reveals to me that Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is the one who died for my sin. And if I reject the Holy Spirit and I deny that witness to myself, then I have, I have committed the unpardonable sin. You say, why is that unpardonable? Because there's no other way to heaven. There's no other possibility of forgiveness than that that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Peter said this, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So when the Holy Spirit tells you and witnesses to you and reveals to you in your spirit that Jesus is the one and you reject that, that's all. There's no other way. So, if that makes sense, say amen. All right, and it says on there, how do we not do this? Simple, believe the Holy Spirit. When he convicts you of your sin, believe him. When he reveals to you Jesus is the Savior, believe him. Amen? All right, all right. Now, let's do this too. Let's do this uh, to save some time on the questions. Save some time on the questions. Let's try to keep the questions having to do with Revelation. <clears throat> And, and what we're going to do, what we're going to do is, is start, what we're going to do is start like five minutes. They, they timed me on the questions to see how long it took me to take the questions this time. And, and we're going to start early next week. All right. So, uh, say we, we'll, we'll start five minutes till I'm going to come out five minutes early and, and cover the questions. That way we don't take up no question time for revelation time. How many of y'all good with that? Say amen. So, with that being said, if you put a question in the box and you want it answered, you better be here early. All right? All right. Let's jump right into this thing. What are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about two chapters, hopefully. I've got four pages of notes I'm going to try to go through, my best to, to try to get this done, because they connect. They're together. Uh, chapters 10, and by the way, at the top of your notes where it says the interlude and then chapter 10, put dash chapter 11 too. Put 11 beside that because these are connected. They're both part of the interlude, the pause between action. The word interlude means a pause in the, between the acts of a play. How many of y'all have ever been to a play or maybe, maybe been to a, 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 something of that nature where there's an act going on and there's a pause? There's a pause and a break before the action begins again. Well, that's what chapters uh, uh, 10 and 11 is. And we sing the same interlude. We've seen the same interlude between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, right? And so we have a pause here. And God wants to reveal some things. He wants to show us some things. Uh, the action, if you'll remember, the action last week was pretty intense. I mean, it was pretty heavy. When you're talking about demonic hordes covering the earth and torturing men, uh, it's pretty rough. Matter of fact, it run about half y'all out of here. They didn't even come back this week. <laughs> 
even after I told you, you ain't going to be here. Amen. It, it, it is. You think about some of the things that's going to take place. And, and, you know, I try to use a little levity because it is a heavy subject. And it is, it is. It, it, matter of fact, as we read, John is fixing to consume a little book of prophecy that's going to concern what's fixing to take place with the Jewish people and, and the earth. And, and it's sweet to his mouth because he is seeing the deliverance of Israel. He is seeing the restoration of Israel. He's seeing uh, the destruction and the punishment of wickedness and sin. And that's great. That's sweet. But boy, when he begins to contemplate, when he begins to digest the truth of what is taking place and, and the horrors, horrors that's going to come upon this earth, it makes him bitter in his belly. So, so this, is a, this is a heavy topic. It's a heavy deal. And so in the midst of this horror, in the midst of these uh, judgments that are falling upon this earth, we find an interlude. We find a time out. We find a space where the action stops and, and God wants to reveal himself to you. I hope, I hope with all of my heart that at the end of last week's study, you didn't see a horrible God, but you saw a grace-filled God. You didn't see a God that's mad and angry at people just to punish them, but it's a God who's bringing righteous judgment upon this earth, not just to punish, but to draw them back to himself and bring them to a point of repentance. The word of God is so true. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And sadly, we read in those last few verses, and they repented not. They repented not. So we come to chapter 10, and we see a character. Look what it says. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and the, and the rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, I want to jump over. I want to jump over to chapter 11 real quick. Chapter 11 real quick. And I want to read a verse because I want to confirm what I'm trying to tell you. All right? There are commentaries that, that disagree and, and of who the, this character is. And I believe this is, this is Christ. I believe this is the Lord Jesus. All right? Uh, some will say, nope, this can't be, this can't be the Lord Jesus. But this is, this is confirmation. I'm going to give you all the things that I, I have. But this is confirmation. Look in chapter 11. Look in chapter 11 in verse number, uh, let's see. Verse number 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel, the angel, it's just the same one. It's the same angel you see in chapter number 10. It says, the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And now, now think about it, who's speaking? Who's speaking right here? The angel, the angel, Okay. And the holy city which they shall tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power. I will give power. This is the angel speaking. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Those are God's witnesses. Okay. The angel is speaking. It's the angel is divine. It's deity. All right. So let's go back. Let's go back and describe this angel in chapter number 10. And it's no, it's no. 
it's not, it's, this is not a strange thing that the Lord Jesus is referred to as an angel or the angel of the Lord. We see in Exodus chapter 3, I just put it as a, as a text above your, your notes, but I, I copied it here. Exodus 3 verse 1 says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord, say that with me, and the, the angel of the Lord. Who is this? this? This is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a, a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. We know Moses turns and goes to see it, and it says in verse 5, it says, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is what? Holy. Holy ground. That's not describing an angel. Okay? Now look, Joshua 5. Joshua 5, we see another instance of Jesus appearing. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversary? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did what? Worship. Worship. And said unto him, what does he call him? What saith my, my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, watch this, it's the same terms that Moses seen at the burning bush. Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. That was an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus, okay? Now we see him coming as an angel, described as an angel. All right, let's look, number one, at his appearance. First, we see his clothing. We see his clothing. Look, at, look what it says in, in verse number one. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a what? Everybody say it. Clothed with a cloud. Exodus 40, verse 34. The cloud was an old garment of divine presence associated with divine movements. Let me say that again. You can underline that in your notes. The cloud was of old, the garment of divine presence associated with divine movements. The Lord directed Israel by day in a pillar of cloud. Exodus 13, 21. When Israel murmured, the glory appeared in the cloud at Sinai, and he descended in a thick cloud. All right, Exodus 40, verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. All right, Matthew 24, 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Matthew 26, 64. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So we see the clothing, the clouds, representing deity and divine movements. B, we see the covenant. Write that word down. The covenant. What's around his head? A rainbow was upon his head. Now, we know what a rainbow is. I mean, everybody, uh, if you was in any bit of Sunday school growing up any time at all, you remember the rainbow that God put in the clouds. It was a covenant, a promise to, to Moses that he would not destroy the earth again by a what? Flood. 
All right, so we see this eternal covenant around the head of this angel. Listen, in Ezekiel 1.28, Ezekiel seen this. As the appearance of the bow, which is the rainbow, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. He saw the bow. He saw the rainbow, which represents a what? Everybody say it. Represents a covenant. Then let's look at his countenance. Let's look at his countenance. And his face as it were the... Boy, boy, help us now. Verse 1, verse 1. And his face was as it were the... Revelation 1.16. It says this is in the vision that John had earlier. uh, Revelation 1.16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his stream. All right? Then we see the conclusion. We see the clothing, the covenant, the countenance, and the conclusion. It says this. And his feet. And his feet as pillars of fire. What does it say in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 1? And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So we see his appearance. We see his appearance. Then number two. Number two, I want you to see his actions. I want you to see his actions. All right, look what he does. It says in verse number two, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, And his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So here here, I I tried. I I was trying to look up a a lion's roar uh, that was pretty significant. Most of you, you've heard lions roar in a movie or maybe in a a wildlife show or something of that nature. And and, and, and you see the lion is, is roaring to, to usher his dominance, who he is. He is he's the king of the jungle, right? He's the king of the jungle. How many of y'all know the lion is the king of the jungle? <clears throat> the lion was going through the jungle one day, and he came up to the monk, and he said, Who's the king of the jungle? And he said, You are your majesty. He kept on going, and he came across the hippopotamus and said, Who's the king of the jungle? And the hippopotamus says, You are your majesty. He comes up to the elephant and says, who's the king of the jungle? Man, the elephant picks him up and slams him four or five times and throws him against the tree. And the lion says, man, if you didn't know, just say so. I'm sorry. I just thought about that. Y'all just seem so tight about Revelation. I just had to loosen you up a little bit. We see. <laughs> All right. Write this down, his actions. A, his standing. His standing. What's he doing? Now remember, let's go back. Let's go back a minute. Let's go back. Uh, in, in, chapter, in chapter number four, we, we learn about a little book. And there, there's a throne in, 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 a, in a book, which we learn is the title deed to the earth. And then, and then we, we, we learn in chapter number five that the lion of the tribe of Judah. Say that with me. The lion of the tribe of the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And, and what did we say that was? That was the Lord Jesus Christ taking back the title deed of the earth, taking back what was stolen, taking back what was robbed from Adam in the garden, taking back what was rightfully 
His. Are y'all with me? And revelation in the tribulation is that whole process of Jesus taking back what he, it, what, what rightfully belongs to him. So what are we seeing right here? What is the picture we're seeing right here? He puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. Now, before we go any further, let's go back to Joshua. How many of y'all remember Joshua and the promise that God made to Joshua? He said, everywhere that the what? The sole of your foot shall land on is yours. Are y'all with me? Y'all go read it. It's in Joshua chapter number one. Wherever your sole of your foot, wherever you plant your foot, I've given that to thee. And what do we see? We see the Lord as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In chapter number five, he takes a title deed to the earth because it, you remember, if we go back, I'm kind of running a rabbit. We're not going to finish. I know we're not going to finish, but we got, we got to talk about this. Say amen. You remember when, 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 when the prophet sold, he bought the land? Even though the land was in enemy territory and, and it was under enemy hands, he still had a right to it. He still had the paperwork. He had bought, he had purchased this land, but it was in the enemy hands. Are y'all with me? And it's really not completely redeemed till he has taken possession of it. What is happening? Jesus has got the deed. He's taken it. And now he's on this earth, one on the sea and one on the land. And that encompasses all of creation, the sea and the land. And he's taken back this earth. Can you imagine that scene? Planting one foot on the land and one foot on the sea and roaring. Now, I know this is probably not spiritual, <clears throat> but I like, I like watching fighting. And, and, and I, you, you understand what I'm saying. And, I mean, you've seen, it, you've seen it in battles. You've seen it in wars, especially when it was back to hand-to-hand combat and all that. But, I, I, I mean, I, I like UFC fighting because that's like the real deal. I mean, it's poor. It's in you. And, 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 and when, when the dude wins every time, I mean, they just like go to the center ring and, ah! Y'all with me? I mean, it's that roar of victory. That's what this seems like to me. That's what I see John seeing. Jesus is fixing to take it all. It's done. It's done. Satan has trampled and Satan has... Listen, he's destroyed and, and Satan has running through rampant throughout this earth for all of these years. It's time for it to be done. Listen, he's taking it back. It's a promise. We know, we know, did I give y'all a standing? We know that the sea and land stand for the sum total of the material universe. I believe the action of planting that feet on the earth and the sea is equivalent to claiming both the earth and the sea as his own possession. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Colossians 1, 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. They're his. He's the rightful owner. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are 
and were created. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When he sets foot on the land and the sea, he will express his intention of taking possession of that which is his. We see his standing, then B, we see his speech. His speech, verse number Verse number three, and he cried with a loud voice as when a what roareth? Everybody say it. A lion roareth when he had cried. This is the cry of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is asserting himself prior to the exercise of judgment upon unrepentant man. Revelation 5, 5, and one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, a lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Hosea 11.10, they will walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. Joel 3.16, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. We see number three. We see his affirmation. I'm just going to skip over. We see there was angels that, that uttered, uttered some things, voices. Seven thunders uttered. <clears throat> you say, why aren't you going to talk about it? Because he said, seal it up. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about it. <clears throat> What's the point? I mean, I read several speculations, and if he says seal it up, he don't want you to know what it is. So why speculate? Amen? All right. And the angel which I saw, verse 5, and the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and he swore by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that there are in, and the th- earth and the things that there are therein are. That's what it is. I'm dyslexic, I'm sorry. And the sea and the things which therein, there which are therein. That there's everything, people, everything. All right? Mercy. That there should be time no longer. You say, well, how's he swearing by that? It's the same thing that, that, that God did with Abraham. Abraham couldn't find anything greater to swear by, so he just swore by himself. He put his name on the line. In other words, if this doesn't happen, I cease to be God. But guess what? It happened. And this is going to happen too. This is going to happen too. No more delay. No more delay. That there should be time no longer. We see his affirmation. First, A, if you're writing this down, there's a ceasing of his delay with man. What, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? God is long-suffering. We, we, we miss that. Why don't God go ahead and hurry up and come back? Do you know how many people would go to hell? I don't know God's timing, but I do know He's merciful. And He's long-suffering. Listen, but there's coming a day when He's had enough. And the wickedness of man is going to cease. And there'll be no more delay in his judgment and his dealing with wicked men. Look, 
says in verse number 7, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Now there's a, there's a lot of speculation of that, but one that I, I, really, I really hung on to. What is, what is probably the greatest question, the greatest question of mankind, the most, the most repeated question over and over and over again? It's, it's this question that you hear when you try to witness to somebody that doesn't want to believe in Christ. Uh, as a red, is that clock, it says it's red and says negative 49. How, mu- how much time do I have? All right, just, just wave at me when I got five minutes, all right? Uh, when you witness to people, you'll say, why does God let this stuff go on? Why did God allow man to sin in the first place? Why did God allow man to fall? Why does God allow Satan to be loosed and to tempt and, and, and to destroy and do all of these things? You know what? That's a good question. But one day... That mystery will be solved. And one day, I, you know, this may not be the exact mystery, but I believe one day we're going to know it all. We're going to understand. The Bible says the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And one day, it's coming. Everything's going to be said and done. Church, say amen. There's going to be a ceasing of his delay with man. There's going to be a consummation of his dealings with man. It's going to be all concluded. The meaning of verse 6 is not necessarily that time was going to end, but that there would be no more delay in his actions with mankind on the earth. Christ is saying that in the midst of the tribulation that there is one more trumpet judgment, and at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, all evil in the earth will be put down without further delay. Sin Sin has been reigning, and righteousness has suffered throughout man's days on earth, and now things must change. Now, how many of y'all remember David? David said, my steps had well nigh slipped. He said, I looked at the wicked and they prospered. I looked at the people that did wrong and everything great happened to them. I looked at the people that were trying to do right and everything bad happened to them. He said, I don't get it. I don't understand. He said, but when I saw their end. Man, this is the question that's gone down through the ages. But one day, it'll be over. The phrase about the mystery indicates that all the counsels and covenants of God concerning his governmental dealings over man and the earth made known through the penman of the Holy Scriptures will be consummated. When Christ comes to reign, there will be no longer mystery, but what? Manifestation. Isaiah eleven nine. it says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Church, say amen. Then number four, write this down. We see his assignment. He gives an assignment to John. He gives an assignment to John. It says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said, this is the angel speaking, And he said unto me, What did he say? Take it. Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. 
And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Two things I want you to write down. First, this, this, is a, this book is God's word. <clears throat> All right? It's, it, it's, it's God's word. God's word has been compared to milk. God's word has been compared to bread. Uh, uh, God's word is compared to meat, something edible. And, and, and all, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, boy, he devoured that book. He devoured that book. Now, in other words, he ate it up. He read it all, finished it, front to back, finished it. He is saying you have to receive the book. You have to receive the book. And so he ate it up. He received it. Now, here's, here's something that, as you write this second word down, write this down. You have to repeat the word. You have to repeat the word. There's a reason that he had to take the book. There's a reason that he had to ingest it. And by the way, by the way, looking at a biscuit on the table don't minister to you. Are y'all with me? That, 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 don't, that, don't, that don't do a thing. Matter of fact, looking at it don't do anything to make me mad. How many, have y'all seen the video of that guy that's smelling this cheeseburger that's about this big and then eats a carrot or something? That's what a diet will do for you, amen? But food will not help you until you ingest it, till you take it in, till you consume it. Just because you have a Bible in your lap, that doesn't give you supernatural powers. That Bible laying on your shelf don't do anything for you. It's when you open it up and receive it. It's when you open it up and you eat it up and you take it in. Why does he have to do that? Why was he commanded? Why was he given the assignment to receive the book, to eat it up, to take it on the inside of you? Because he had to go share it. You cannot repeat what you do not receive. You cannot go give people, all you preachers in here, you cannot go give people something you don't have. And you don't have, you, you, you can't do it with a surface. It needs to go down deep into your belly and affect your inner man and who you really are. There is no message in this world like a message that comes from deep inside of you that affects you and your life. Don't expect a word to affect somebody else or excite somebody else if it don't affect you or excite you. He said he ate it up, he received it. But look what it did. It was sweet at first. It was sweet at first. I'm telling you, when you learn that Jesus is coming back, that's sweet. When you learn that he's going to establish his kingdom and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Principal. Are y'all with me? When, when, when you hear about Israel's restoration and you hear about the, 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 listen, the destruction of the devil and the, and the blessings of him being cast into the, into the lake of fire and, and all of these things. Man, that's sweet and that's wonderful. And I'm tired of this world the way it is. I'm tired of the way this world is going. I'm tired of the wickedness and the sin and the evil. I'm tired of my own sin that i got to fight with. And knowing that, that that one day is going to be is such a sweet knowledge of knowing the blessings of God that's coming. And boy, it was sweet to John. Now think about this. You've got to understand, he has witnessed. He has witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. 
I've been really digging into the temple that was destroyed. And, 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 and not one stone was left. They dug up the foundations to the point, Josephus said, you couldn't even tell there was even anything there, period. A million Jews were slaughtered. That, that's what John was dealing with. Can you imagine how sweet it was for him to see in, in, in a minute there's going to be another temple? God's going to redeem and God's going to restore. But with that, when he began to digest the truth, when he began to really meditate, meditate on what was going to happen to the wicked, it was bitter. Literally, if, if we just won't say it in our time, it hurt him in the stomach. How many of y'all been, been upset about something to the point you just hurt, just ate? You know what I think? I think if we really truly receive God's word and ingest God's word, it is sweet as honey and, and it is meat and it is milk. But boy, it ought to cause us to have a conviction and it ought to cause us to have a burden for people who don't have what we have. He said, you got to get this because you got to take it. You got to take it to the lost. You got to take it to those you still have. Look what he says. Look at the last verse. He said, Thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. What is he going to give them? The same thing he received. Are y'all with me? Say amen. See, we just keep reading. Just keep reading. Right into chapter 11. These are together, these are connected. And there was given me a reed. Like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall thou tread underfoot forty and two months. Shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So here we see John sees the new temple. I put on the next page, uh, I guess it would be, on your second page where, where we see the different temples uh, that we have seen. Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, Herod's temple. That's the temple that was up in Jesus' day. That is the one that, that John witnessed being destroyed uh, uh, in 70 AD. Uh, but now he's seeing a temple that's going to happen during the tribulation period. Uh, whether it's going to be built right before the rapture. Some say it's going to be built right before the rapture. Some say it's going to be built right after the rapture. Whatever it is. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant treaty with Israel to allow them uh, to have their temple. They don't have a temple right now. There's a temple Mount Faithful. There's a group of people in Israel right now that already has the cornerstone of the temple ready. They already have the golden uh, candlesticks ready to put in this temple. I mean, it, they're sitting on the G waiting on the O. Say amen. It's going to happen. We're close. We're that close. We're that near. And so they're going to have this temple. That's what he's saying to measure. This is not the millennial temple. That's, that's what we see in, in Ezekiel. This is a temple that's up that the Antichrist is going to go into. All right? So now we see a number here. We see a number. Let me, let me give you the verses. I, put, I think I put them in, in your notes uh, on the second. Well, let me, let me just get, let's get there first. Let's just get there first. I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Number one, number one, <clears throat> we see the temple worship. 
What we're reading in verses 1 and 2 reveals the rebuilding. Write that down. The rebuilding. He's measuring the part that's for the Jews. He says, leave the court of the Gentiles out. And by the way, in, 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 in Jesus' day, the Romans gave the Jews permission and authority to execute any Gentile that went into an area that they were not supposed to go into. Because it, but, and also, that was the accusation against Paul that he took a Gentile into the temple. That's what caused a riot. Well, he is measuring the part for the, gen, or excuse me, for the Jews themselves, okay? Now, what does this mean? It's primarily toward them. This, this is what, basically, in, 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 in just easy, easy terms, he is showing John that there is going to be a group, a remnant, saved and protected, even when the Gentiles come through and trample the city. All right? So here, let me, let me read this. <clears throat> John's measuring of the temple symbolizes the marking out of the Jewish remnant that God will spare from judgment. Now, here, here's what I want, you to, I want you to write down these two verses. I didn't have room to put it on your paper, but write these down. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. I'll read it, but you write it down. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. This is what it says. And it shall come to pass, and this is talking about during the tribulation period. When the, when, the, when the great tribulation begins at the, the halfway mark, three and a half years into the tribulation period. It says, And it shall come to pass that in all of the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Zechariah is saying here, during that period of time, two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to die. They're going to be killed. One-third is going to be protected. He's going he's to protect one-third. There's going to be a remnant. Zechariah 14, write this one down. Zechariah 14, 1 through 5. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city. This is the time described in Matthew 24 where Jesus said, you better hope it's not in the winter time. You better hope it's not on the Sabbath. When you see this, flee, run. He says, the women will be ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azale. Ye, yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. What's happening? We see there's going to be an all-out attack. They're going to come into Jerusalem and they're going to, they're going to ransack it. They're going to ransack it. There's, God's people are going to flee to the wilderness. They're going to flee to the wilderness again. Some, some, some people believe, tradition believes, it's going to be to the, the, the rock city Petra. You can look that up, the city of Petra. And God's going to protect them there. And there's going to be a remnant left in Israel. 
And God is saying, I'm measuring out their spot. They are mine. I'm going to protect them. All right, but watch what's going to happen. We see God has got some people he's leaving behind. It says in verse 2, But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city, what is the holy city? Jerusalem, shall they tread underfoot 40 and 2 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. He's going to leave two preachers behind. Two preachers. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. That's the, the amount of, that's three and a half years in days. All right, if you do the math, it is, it is 42 months of 30 days of peace, which is the Jewish calendar, okay? So it's the same amount of time, it's just giving you in days, okay? So you have one, three and a half years in months, and three and a half years in days. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, now flip, flip over, flip over. To chapter 12, verse 6. Real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. You remember what I told you? Sometimes you'll be learning information and then you'll get to some chapters that go into greater detail about what you just learned. That's what we're seeing here, okay? Revelation 12, 6. And the woman, which we're going to learn, we're going to learn is Israel. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. How long is that? Three and a half years. All right, look in chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 5. And there was given unto him, him, him is the Antichrist. All right, so, so anyway, let me read it and I'll come back. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two. How long is that? Three and a half years. So let me let me let me lead you to where we are. Okay. How long is the tribulation period? Seven years. All right. A, a politician is going to come forth, and he's going to make a covenant. He's going to sign a treaty with Israel, a seven-year treaty. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to protect you. I'm the man. I am what you've been waiting on all this time. They're going to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's going to have the greatest answers anybody's ever had. He's going to, he's going to finally bring peace in the Middle East. They're going, to be, they're going to build their temple. This is great. We've been waiting on this. We've been, we've been praying about this. There's going to be celebrations. There's going to be tears flowing. We finally got our temple we finally are safe. We're finally safe. But when they cry, peace and safety, then cometh utter destruction. He's going to reveal who he is three and a half years. Three and a half years into that deal. God's going to let him step forward. And he's going to show who he really is. Are y'all with me? Listen, there's going to be unimaginable attack against the Jewish people. At that time, they're going to flee. All right? The, the, the majority of the people in Israel is going to flee to the wilderness, possibly Petra. That's what the, the, there's, four different, there's four different times we see those dates, all right? Those three and a half years and months and, and days. All of them have to do with the time that the nation of Israel is going to be run out of their land, the time that the Gentiles are going to be trampling. I believe it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at it as the UN. The Antichrist is going to have his 
his army. The Antichrist is going to have his group. They're going to come into Jerusalem. He's going to want the worship that, 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 that Israel is trying to give to their Messiah. They're trying to find God. They're, they're, they're instituting the sacrificial worship again. He is jealous. He is angry. He comes in and he begins to slaughter them. And they flee. Two-thirds are killed. But God is going to preserve a remnant. God is going to preserve a remnant. While that group is in the wilderness and God is protecting the nation of Israel in the wilderness and God is feeding them in the wilderness, he leaves behind two preachers. And these are not just any preachers. These are souped up preachers. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. Let's hurry. We see the two witnesses. The two witnesses. Look what it says. He said, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. What is this? This is the same time that the Gentiles are going to be ravishing and and destroying Jerusalem and and occupying the holy city. Okay? It says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of heaven. What does that mean? Olive trees, olive oil. Oil is representation of the Holy Spirit. It means they're going to be anointed. Anointed. You can go back to Zechariah. We don't have time to do this, but if you'll write this down, if you'll write this down, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4 describes these. He talks about the two olive trees and the golden candlesticks. Now in Zechariah, it is a representation of Zerubbabel and, and, and Joshua, the two men that he, not the Joshua, not the Joshua of the book of Joshua, but we see a Joshua who is used to come back and rebuild the temple. Are y'all with me? Rebuild and restore Jerusalem and the temple. Now, now isn't that something? Isn't that something that, that these people, these people, he says, this is the olive trees and this is the candlestick. They, what does a candlestick use? Olive oil. It uses olive oil to burn so you have light. Are y'all with me? They're light bearers for God. They are anointed light bearers. And, 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 and it is the application of Zerubbabel and Joshua who were responsible for rebuilding and restoring Jerusalem. Are y'all with me? Who better to represent someone to bring revival in their preaching? Are y'all with me? All right? If you're writing these down, let's do this real quick. Let's do this real quick. A, they are persons. They're not a movement, and this is not the church. Some people have said this is two different movements. It's going to go. These are real people. They are persons. B, they are prophets. They're going to prophesy. They're going to preach, and not necessarily prophesy as much as foretell. Not foretell, but foretell, presenting, proclaiming God's word, proclaiming the judgment to come, proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. They are persons, they are prophets, they are powerful. It says, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. Now that's what I call a fireball preacher. Say amen. (laughs) And devoureth their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, and that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. 
and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. In other words, they have, they have turned the holy city, the great city, into nothing more than Sodom and Egypt. Sodom is the, the moral immorality, the moral degradation, and Egypt is a type of the oppression on God's people. And then spiritually, this is where they're at. All right? It says, And they of the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in grave. And they shall dwell upon the earth, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and, send, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after the three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Now, so write this down. They're persons, they're prophets, they're powerful, they're persecuted, and they are preserved. Write those things down and then look at me. Persecuted and preserved, okay? So what's the deal? What's the deal? The Antichrist is in his, in his heyday. He's, he's in his, his, his highest form. I mean, he, he, he is ruling. He is ruling the world. We, we, we've got, we've got a, a, a one-world government, a one-world religion. All this stuff is going on. He is, he is destroying the Jews. He's conquering. He's doing all. And you've got two aggravating preachers who are just irritating the fire out of him. Now, you got to remember, you got to remember, this world is going to believe a lie, and they're going to think that the Antichrist is God, and they're not just going to follow him, they're going to worship him. And while they're doing that, and they think the Antichrist is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you're going to have two irritating preachers that's preaching hellfire and brimstone and tell them that all of them need to repent. He's a lie. Don't put your faith in man. God is the only God. There is none other but Jesus. Somebody say amen. And they're preaching on sin. They're preaching on repentance. And you know what it does? It irritates them. They hate them. You know what? We're not far from that today. You let a man stand and preach on sin. We say, yeah, we like a man to stand on sin till he stands on yours. Now think about this. Think about this. I, I got two seconds left. <clears throat> and we're not done. We're not done with this. Think about the vitriol and the hatred that came against President, Vice President Pence when he declared his limitations and his boundaries and standards that he has with other women. He, 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 won't, he won't meet with other women or ride with them because he's protecting his marriage, protecting his relationship with his wife, so he has standards. And they mocked him and made fun of him and hated on him. They're hated on for righteousness. But they keep preaching. And God gives them supernatural power. And he gives them the power that Elijah had. Gives them the power that Moses had. Some say it's Moses and Elijah. Some say it's Enoch. You know, uh, and, 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 and Elijah, uh, but, but that's nothing to argue about. It doesn't matter. I, I kind of tend to the Moses and Elijah thing, you know, and, and for, for various reasons. But, 
but, but we see they have power to bring plagues and they have power to stop rain. What, one of them prophets is going to say it ain't going to rain. For three and a half years, it's not going to rain. You realize that's the same time Elijah said to King Ahab, as the Lord God liveth, there shall not be rain upon this earth. And so they're going to bring these plagues as they're preaching. And the people are going to hate them. They're going to try to kill them and God won't let them. By the way, that, that teaches you another thing too. You preachers in here, the devil's gunpowder can't burn till he's through with you. Boy, they're going to preach. And they're going to be used to, to bring the remnant of Israel back to God. And they're going to kill them. God's going to allow them to die. God's going to allow the Antichrist to conquer them and overcome them. And they're going to be so giddy and so happy. Think about how wicked this is. They're just going to leave them. Don't bury them. Leave them so we can watch them. And all over the world, satellite images of these two preachers who preached against our sin. And they celebrate to the point they send gifts to one another to celebrate the deaths of these two men. They partied the first day. They partied the second day. They getting with it the third day, about that third day and a half. God raises them up. And then he takes them up. Think about this. I know I'm over time, but I got to tell you this. Why don't God let them preach some more? Why don't God let them preach some more? Surely they would listen to somebody that's come back from the dead. Jesus said, they have Moses and the, could it be Moses and the prophet Elijah? If they don't believe them, neither will they believe anyone that comes from the dead. Because for three and a half years, they had Moses and the prophet. Anyway, we're done. We ain't got no more time. <clears throat> Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. D under B? All right. Reveals the ransacking. Ransacking. In other words, when the Gentiles come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. They're gonna they're gonna control they're gonna control Jerusalem. For three and a half years, God's going to allow them to trample. Three and a half years. That three and a half years, those, those, those preachers are going to be preaching. Preaching. God's going to give them supernatural powers. They're going to kill them. Antichrist is going to overcome. Man, I got some more stuff. Ugh. Anyway, uh, there's a connection. Y'all just look it up. Y'all just look it up. There's a connection. How many of y'all remember Elijah had a... Comp, uh, 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 a competition on Mount Carmel, calling fire down from heaven. Y'all remember that? Think about that, and then think about what happens with the false prophet. Could there be a competition again? You just go look it up. All right, let's all pray.
Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your mercy, 